I like those, uh, you know, the track suits with the Adidas stripes. Yeah. Oh, no, I've got the legit. I've got like the um, like the Red Dawn jumpsuits. Oh, you do? Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. And you I've know, got they... a couple of the um, the old burlap over uniforms they used. Oh, you have that too? K- KZ, yeah, I have a couple of those. KZS or some KZM? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> so do the experiment one time for somebody. Like, let's say you take the multicom jacket which by far now universally considered to be probably one of the better ones and it is in in like a a, um, a dusty sandy kind of environment but uh you take it and you hang it like let's say against um yeah a bush of some sort right yeah and then you take one of those which is only two colors right shit, i think i've got it i think i've got one of them like right here oh shit what are they called they the overalls. They um, the scout overalls. I think one of them is called the KZM and the other here. one is KZS or something. One is more like a dark kind of swampy green with the yellow uh, pixel. But what? Like, uh, what is it? Um, what camo? What's the camo code? I think it's KZM. Yeah, there you go. That KZM. one. KZM. And this is this like is a boiler. It's a see-through. Yeah. So yeah, you put it right over your uniform, yeah. And, and then the, the hood's it's like a hoodie. It's just like a right. hoodie. And the hood's got the veil on it. Turn your and blur the... screen off, Andrew. I didn't turn it on, dude. I know it automatically comes on. Let's go to the three little dots. Ah, there we go. Now we can see it. There you go. So you the got, hood, like... hood's got so a the veil. Hood... Yeah, it's got a veil you can see through it over here. your face, yeah. And the sleeves are extra long to cover your hands. And then there's a button. You can roll them up and button them up, yeah. Yeah. And, this is pretty cool. I got a couple sets of this. I've got this color, and then I've got another set that's... More yellowish? Actually, it's the green is a... It's like a... It's more of a brown, less green and more brown Okay. On that other so, side. So, and you take that, and you take that jacket, and you put it against the bush on a sunny day. Yeah. And you walk away like twenty yards or something. You won't be able to see it. Yeah. Or more like this. Here's a. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. This isn't my. Uh, this isn't my older one, but this is a cool jumpsuit too. That pattern, and this is a solid like overall, like coveralls with a hood. Yeah. One piece. Right? That's the yeah. one I just pulled up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Button. And look at the on. spots there, Marty. Uh, they they look pixel, right? It looks They're like Versace like... is what it looks like. Yeah, that's the newer one. I've got the old one with the white in it somewhere. I just don't have it handy. Right. And they 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 round they I mean right angle kind of squarish pixels. Yeah. And the yeah. one that uh, the older one you're talking about, the green with the gray. Yeah. If you turn it inside out, it's got the mash, the, uh, type, like a, a yeah. uh, the square matrix type of, uh, um, that's a pattern that's on the inside, yeah. Pattern, right. It's the uh, combat, the uh, night vision. Maybe we should do an yeah. episode on camo, Marco. 
I think we should. Yeah. That'd yeah, be a. I think that'd be a good episode to do. Yeah, never, absolutely. And never done that. it's something when I used to run a, um, a sniper school, that's, you know, we had the whole section on the on the uh, camo and stuff and camouflage when, you know, when it comes down to snipers and stuff. Yeah. And all this nonsense with the freaking uh, ghillie suits that they have to bury it in the dirt and then pick it up and do this oh, yeah. and this, all this Hollywood movie bullshit. <laughs> it takes very, very little to uh, make you disappear within like 20 freaking feet that they won't even see you. And then you don't need a ghillie suit. But, um, you know, the like this new, um, what is it, ACU camo, the U- U.S. Uh, Army camo? Yeah, it's terrible. For 100 yards and you in the firing line, it shines like a freaking neon spot. <laughs> I feel it gets... Yeah, until it gets dirty, like maybe really that's dirty. the whole yeah, purpose. Especially like it? if it's been washed supposed to blind them. Times, yeah. It just glows. Yeah, it's supposed to blind and, uh, the enemy. It's like wearing mirrors. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> most most of the actual combat units don't wear that anymore. No, it's all multicam now. Yeah, if they can afford it. Otherwise, they just pull out whatever they got and mix and match. Yep. I've seen take that. it, t- take it off a dead enemy. <laughs> Wash off the uh, blood, and off you go. So it's probably what the Ukrainians are doing. I don't know. I mean, they're they're probably wearing those nice, you know, thousand yeah, dollar track suits. All the money the Russians are stealing their shit. Yeah, all the money we're sending. <laughs> well, I mean, all the POWs, like uh, every, I mean, the captured guys. Uh, I watch them every day. There's like. 10, 12 of them. They all dressed, I mean, there's some exceptions, but the most of them are quite pretty good, the Ukrainians. Oh, and yeah. I mean, the yeah. entire freaking NATO supplies. There's them. no reason why they shouldn't yeah, be. That's, that, yeah, they should be look, have pretty good stuff. Yeah. There's like, a, you know, there's a insulated, like, a, not the down, but I'm sure it's some kind of like a polar tech or some kind of fiber, you know, the uh, under jackets, like poofy jackets. It's pretty good. Yeah. All kinds of uh, a fleece, you know, with the z- zippers and whatnot, and spots for patches and name name tapes. Let's get started. Let's let's talk. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk light machine guns today. So, leadheads, welcome in, uh, especially you AK leadheads. This is our monthly edition of the Talking Lead AK Corner. It's our fifth year of the AK Corner. And uh, joining me again, as you've heard in the background, there is my my co-host, Marco Vorobiv. Is that? Did I say it right, or I jack it up every time? It's it's better than my wife, and we've been married for thirty four <laughs> years. So, <laughs> I guess that's a good thing then. Uh, so, welcome in, Marco. Appreciate you joining us again. Of course. I mean, I wouldn't miss it. Yeah, I mean, you kind of called this episode also. So light machine guns. I have a lot to say, so I'll be rambling on. Oh, that's good. I, and <laughs> and we may cut you off and cut in and interrupt, but uh, I doubt it. <laughs> We're just going to sit here probably and take notes. But uh, Leadheads, if you didn't have an opportunity, make sure you go back to last month's AK Corner, which it was another awesome information, educational field episode where we talked bayonets. And we had Professor, Professor Paul Markle join us. And uh, Rich Nyman, who wrote the book on the USMC, the M9 bayonet. And um, as you're listening to this, you probably just heard another episode with Rich on it. 
because as promised, we had Rich, Commander DT Coulter, and CJ Buck talk about the new, and I'll hold it up again here, Buckmaster 2.0 Combat Diver Knife. So that was a really good episode, and uh, make sure you go check that out as well. And support our our guests when and buy their books. Marco's book, you know, we've talked about it on here several times. Uh, we can't do an episode without holding it up. Is the survival and evolution of the world's most prolific gun, the AK-47. And uh, we're trying to figure out a way to get Marco paid on this book, but... <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, guess I lost. I, I was. I just mentioned last episode that my last uh, royalty check was twenty six dollars. He wouldn't even pay for the book. No, no. He, Marco's getting shysted on his royalties on this book because this book is selling. They're selling a ton. And, so I'll uh, publish through Amazon next time. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well. I didn't know that the publisher would go out of business and he had to be bought like a penny and a dollar by other companies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, There's probably some kind of legal ramifications you've got, but that's another episode. But go and and buy the book, and then that way uh, he can build the traction for his new book when it comes out. Yeah, I'll just write another book, a better book. Yeah, or just rename this one and just republish it. I, I, I don't think I can do better than that one. <laughs> this is a really good book. Yeah, I, I got to admit, this is a really good book. And uh, it, it, it was a labor of love, I have to say. I mean, it took me six months to do it. And Professor Paul's got a new book out also, How to Shoot Better Than a Navy SEAL. And uh, I'm about two chapters in right now of this. So another great book by Paul Markle, and you can go to Amazon to get this one also. And of course, Rich's book, uh, it's out of my reach right now, but uh, just uh, go on Amazon and search Rich or Richard Nyman, N-E-Y-M-A-N. And uh, his book on the Buckmaster original, he did like a history of the Buckmaster original and then um, the M9. So go support our guests, buy their books. And Andrew Brenneman is back. Ladies and gentlemen, Howdy, folks. joining us this episode. Is this your first time this year? No, I was on earlier this year. I haven't been on in probably six months, though. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Yeah. Andrew's been living the married life. Well, the first part of the year was getting ready for the wedding. Yeah. yeah. The first four months of the year, I was pretty pretty covered up. Yeah, I don't think we've, we've talked to you since before the wedding. I don't think you've been on here since after. So it was before the wedding that we that we had you on. Yeah. And what a wedding back. it Happy was. Happy to be here. We're glad to have you. And thank Morgan for allowing you to bow out tonight. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was an option. <laughs> <laughs> you never know till you ask. Thank goodness you asked, right? Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> Hey Leadheads, White Settle with Seal One. Just here to talk to you and tell you a little bit about our product. Seal One CLP Plus is a bio-based, non-toxic product. It comes in a paste, liquid, aerosol, and pre-saturated bore-specific patches called Seal Skins. They all do the same thing, just different methods of application. The best way to use our product is to start with a clean firearm. And there's two reasons why I say that. First, you start with the Seal One CLP Plus by field stripping your firearm and covering the entire firearm inside and out, bore, barrel, everything 
with the Seal 1 CLP Plus. You'll see how easy it spreads around. You want to wait about 15 to 20 minutes, then you come back and you want to wipe it all off. So you see how easy it is to put on and remove. And the second reason we say to use a clean firearm is you'll find that it's not clean. We're gonna pull out more carbon that's been left behind with whatever product you've been using before. Okay, it takes about three cleanings. So I like to say a clean shoot, clean shoot, clean shoot, just normal usage before the Seal 1 CLP Plus has removed whatever product that you were using before and has seasoned the firearm. It's kind of like breaking in a cast iron skillet. And after that first cleaning, you will notice a difference. And with each successive cleaning, you will find that it gets easier and easier to clean. Seal 1 CLP Plus is a dry lubricant and is designed to work as such. You will find that malfunctions are virtually eliminated when used properly because the majority of all malfunctions are caused to carbon buildup. And with the Seal 1 CLP Plus, the carbon does not build up. Seal 1 CLP Plus is safe on all metals, plastics, composites, polymers, rubber, wood, and leather. Seal 1 CLP Plus is a one and done formulation. No other products are required or needed to clean and lubricate and protect your firearm. That's why we say Seal 1 and done. Seal 1 is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Use the code LEADHEAD for a 25% off discount. So this episode is going to be about, as we mentioned earlier, light machine guns. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about the history. I think we're probably going to focus more on um, Russian-style light machine guns, although I know Marco's going to know about every one of them. So uh, we can do that. But let's kind of talk a little bit about how the light machine gun came to be. What what need did the military have to fill there with the light machine gun? Where did they see that need? The need appeared, obviously, in the trench warfares and the frontal assaults of World War I. And uh, though there were some um, attempts were being made before the onset of the World War I uh, by European um, designers, weapon designers and stuff, uh, before that, based on the warfare that the people seen the development of the modern warfare at the time. And most of them derived from, most of the machine gun designs derived from, um, I guess, um, attempts to make a, a, a rifle, the battle, you know, main battlefield rifle mm -hmm. into something automatic. And it's to the point where um, you had this wave after wave after wave of infantry assaulting your your strongholds and your trenches and your trench in, trench lines and your defensive positions. And the only way that you could do it is if you had a sustained uh, full automatic fire. And uh, the early... I mean, there were a plethora of designs, weird and not so weird, submitted at the time. But there, you know, obviously, you have to uh, kind of concentrate on some of the successes that they had in the machine gun design. And those would be, obviously, the Maxim, 
Right. Uh, and that particular machine gun was, uh, you know, it, it was belt-fed instead of magazine-fed. And um, the I guess the biggest advantage of that particular gun was that it had a jacket over the barrel that could uh, that would take the uh, a water and uh, and thus make it the water cooled and you could you didn't need to replace the barrel as long as you had the water in, in that jacket. Sometimes they had to require a separate tank with the additional hose, uh, and uh, so that gun could just would not. Uh, uh, a stop it would keep on firing and firing and firing to the point where as long as the maxim is firing they're not taking out positions uh, obvious uh down draw of a maxim design was it it was a uh, um a mount mounted on the on the base right so with the right. wheels and stuff but you could you know it's two people pulling that thing uh, you usually had to have uh, a team you, to handle that thing could exactly. have just one person. So it was a three three uh, man team. Um, sometimes they would uh, you know disengage it. They would take the body of the gun off the off the uh, um, the base, and a guy would carry the base. The other machine gunner would carry the actual uh, uh, body of the machine gun, and the number three would be carrying all the ammo. But the biggest thing is carrying all this heavy stuff. They usually fall way behind the advancing lines. And then they have to plop it down, set it up, you know, charge it, and then fire it. So the the attempts were made to make it more of like a, a light machine gun, but they didn't really, uh, well, I mean, like a something that would be supported on the bipod rather than on the uh, wheeled uh, mount. Wheeled or tripod, yeah. Oh, tripod, yeah. So you had um, people like uh, one of the successful designs was uh, obviously a great American military officer by the name Lewis that uh, used two innovative things. So Lewis machine gun fired from the bipod. Um, it did not have a belt uh, type of fitting. It had this like a look like a, a, a tin can. Uh, a drum, so to speak, uh, device sitting on the top. And but another innovation there was this forceful cooling of the barrel. So there was a jacket there with some. You could see the fins there where the exhaust will come out. And it was basically as the hot air escapes uh, that that particular enclosure, it would force the cooler air to come in and mm. cool the barrel. So uh, this thing was so successful that even um, the Russian Empire bought a bunch of them. And they were going to build a factory um, to manufacture those in, in, uh, in the um, um, Soviet Union. In, no, in, in Russia, in Tsarist Russia. They're Russia, okay. Right. So how so they came in, they built the factory. Now that factory is known as Dekterov factory in Kavrov, but the manufacturing of uh, Lewis machine guns never actually commenced because the Bolsheviks took power and blah blah blah. So no more Tsarist Russia and so on and so on. Another one, uh, another um, uh, uh, leader in the light machine gun category, if you can call it that, was 
a French designer by Shosha. Shosha. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, that particular gun was fitting out of box magazine mounted from the top. You know, I just, we're so accustomed to uh, uh, our magazines, right? And nowadays, uh, because everything we pretty much touched got a box magazine. And I'll just show you this thing right here. Uh, that's the obviously the AK. Well, it's RPK 40 rounder RPK um, magazine. I just learned why they have the ribs, and a lot of people say, "Well, to make it like uh, make it stronger and stuff, right? Yeah, to give it a little bit more structure to the the sheet metal." Well, it's not. <laughs> it's to reduce. <laughs> To reduce the friction of a round on the magazine as it goes up, being pushed by a spring. Okay. So it's not a metal on solid, the right? Metal on metal. And I didn't realize that uh, uh, until recently. I was like, oh, yeah, of course it makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, not not so much on the plastic, but the metal on metal is, you know, I mean, any kind of corrosion <laughs> would uh, the spring is just it would it would slow the spring down. Right. The, the effort. Anyway, so uh, uh, so all of this. The Shosha. See, you were talking about the Shosha. Yeah, it's, there you go. It's a yeah. weird looking. See, that's the reason why they made those cutouts. <laughs> well, one way to see to see how much ammo you got left, and of course uh, to reduce the friction. Oh yeah, it's fit from the top, uh, from the bottom. There were yeah. several other guns that had the magazines actually inserted from the top. The Bren so, was one of those. Uh, Bren, yeah. Had the magazine. Interesting fact about that machine gun. When the U.S. first entered World War One, we didn't have enough machine guns, and our troops used that pile of shit. They did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for, for quite some time at the beginning of World War One, the U.S. troops used that thing. Yeah. And and they these, fought from the French. These they were notorious for being, like you just said, pieces of, of shit. Uh, the parts, <laughs> but the the parts from the same is, rifles weren't even interchangeable. The, the same but type rifles as the most guns back then other than like uh the mass produced sort of like most of the guns or lean fields or maybe 1903s or something like that but most of the machine guns were literally the guy that with the file you know making it uh making it work and stuff as, as intended so anyway there was a bunch of other stuff that was you would look at it and go oh my god how is this thing even produced but the fact was that all the armies involved in World War II did not have enough machine guns. Just simply didn't have enough machine guns. And uh, the even Tsarist Russia entering into World War One, we did uh, one of the guys exclaimed saying, "Why don't we have a machine guns which French produced by hundreds of thousands?" <laughs> that's, that's a quote from one of the, you know, the military brass. Mm. So uh, the need for a machine gun was definitely uh, uh, apparent during mm. that time. And uh, so going into, you know, kind of out of the World War One was born the necessity for for a light machine gun, not just a cruiser, Maxim but something that the soldier could carry and deploy rather rapidly. So uh, the Germans under Versailles Treaty, of course, they couldn't uh, openly produce stuff, but they were, you know, they were doing it. 
they came up with the with a few designs of their own and then uh kind of apexing it with the uh, mg34 that they adopted belt fed uh machine gun that that still was sort of like a cruiser you still needed the tripod at the time uh somebody had to carry that and then a bunch of those cake cakes they call them you know the the little drums that they had uh, i forget how many rounds are per drum but nevertheless it was kind of took them you know leaps and bounds ahead of everybody everybody at the time uh, until the mg42 showed up later in world war ii so russians uh definitely uh were um um interested in in having the gun of their own um in fact two guys kind of cooperated the uh, famous fedorov who cre- created that uh, automat fedorov automat uh uh select fire rifle and then uh, the soviet government sent the tokarev i'm sorry dektorov to be a, an apprentice under fedorov fedorov tutelage to um you know Vasily automatic who's that Vasily Dek, Dek say the last Dekterov, name yeah. Dekterov Dekterov and uh so um and of course they took uh they took pointers from uh all kinds of other designs including Lewis <laughs> including as a matter of fact um the Lewis forced uh force cooling barrel cooling system mm-hmm. was recently deployed employed by the russians with their new uh, uh replacement to p uh, pkm which calls uh pkp pitching that really? don't have to you don't have to replace the barrels it's got the forced air type of system cooling system which is pretty cool made the gun much better in every aspect. I mean, his body is still Kalashnikov, but the barrel from from the. This is their to, their newest ones. Yeah, PKP <clears throat> Pechenegg is the name of the gun. PKP. Yeah. So anyway, moving on. So in 1927, actually, they started working on it in 1924. In the 1927, Dektorov comes up, uh, releases his uh, uh, DP 27 machine gun which obviously we know is uh well i have it uh but i didn't bring it down what what do well, you i mean? showed it the last time yeah but this is the episode about it <laughs> not necessarily what what is it about about it's like all around me here so i did, I did okay all right well i've so, got pictures uh, i can pull up dp27 so. is a famously known as a stalin's that's a pitch and egg yeah. If you look at the barrel, the barrel looks kind of uncharacter- uncharacteristically thick, right? Yeah. But it's uh, it's the uh, it's that a jacket around it, so to speak. And it's the air, air that and, and how does the air get into that? And we're talking well, about again, the, so the hot air expands PKP. and it starts to uh, escape, right? Okay. And as it escapes, it creates a vacuum, so it pulls the new air in. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it pulls the so cool you don't, air from outside. This one, to, you don't change the barrel on this one. You don't. No. Okay. Cool. And that handle right there up top, 
services. I mean, uh, serves as uh, two. You know, so you can slide it off. Two hats. One of them is the carry handle, and the the other one is uh, to spread that mirage, that haze that come off of hot hot air. Is that Putin calling you, giving away yeah, their secrets? Yeah, in fact, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to. Anyway, it's probably like, uh, hi, this is uh, time to enroll in Medicaid. They don't know that I'm only like 56 years old. They think I'm 90. <laughs> anyway, but uh, so uh, here we go. Um, so DP-27 uh, was a machine gun that uh, Dekterov came up with, and immediately they start producing it at that Kavro factory. And the, the, there was the build and, you know, kind of designated to build the Lewis guns. But so uh, a Dekterov DP-27, uh, I absolutely positively love the gun. <laughs> it's kind of in the heavy side for what it was, because if you look at the receiver, I mean, it's just a solid chunk of, uh, of, uh, of, a, of steel, right? Mm -hmm. And yet... You look at it and you see how ingeniously simple the gun is. I mean, the, everything from bolt carrier to uh, uh, the the bolt itself, the way it locks, everything is just like, God, man, I had enough um, knowledge. I could have I could have designed it in the seventh grade, so to speak. You know, of course not, but that's the impression you get when you first disassemble this gun. And uh, so he had its own quirks. Obviously, that 47 round uh, a disc. Disc, yeah. I can't even call it a uh, uh, drum. It's a disc magazine. Uh, well, dictated by the uh, fact that uh, Russia still used the rimmed car cartridge. And this type of uh, system was, uh, or this type of feeding system was more conducive to that. I got to and shoot one I, of these when I went to Poland. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it has no recoil because it's so heavy and stuff. And yeah, it was nice. I, it was nice to shoot. It's it, yeah. It's one of my like favorite machine guns to shoot. Uh, it's little uh, capricious. Maybe it's mine only. Capricious in the way of uh, it doesn't eat everything. It, it kind of tries to, but then it rips the half of the casing off. And what round and was this shooting? What, the the 760 by 54R, okay. the standard Russian uh, 30 caliber round. However, people, the, the soldiers kind of appreciated this gun because they can run with it. They, they'll grab the leg up front. You know, you have a tendency to kind of grab it underneath like a regular rifle, but there's that operating rod going back and forth, and you would probably break tip you know, break the tips of your fingers off <laughs> if you <laughs> grab it there. But anyway, they grab it by the leg and they could, one person could carry it and actually uh, run together in the same line with the advancing unit. And then you, you just plop it anywhere you, you know, anywhere you can find it suitable and just open fire immediately. So uh, uh, the, the all the, those discs and, uh, you know, uh, Stalin's, nicknamed Stalin's uh, record player. Um, it's a uh, um, sort of looks cumbersome, but in the way the 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 carry 
bag that you're carrying is like a messenger style bag and then they nestle in there really you know tightly and they not really big so you can carry a good bunch of them and stuff and and uh, to uh, to replace the uh those discs or disc magazines is very easy um there is a on a, the site, right ar- around the site, you got the little spring latch that you pull back. You just knock this one off, and you put another one in, and slap it in, and keep on going. The gun fires from an open bolt, so you don't have to rack it. You keep on keep on going. Uh, going. And uh, uh, so, again, it wasn't ideal. Okay, so the rate of fire was okay. It was around six hundred. Uh, or maybe a little less, somewhere between 400 and 600 rounds a minute. Uh, it was heavy. It wasn't the the measurement of re- reliability. There's a reason why you get like a oil bottle built into your uh, uh, buttstock, so that you would every now and then you have this like a little weird tool with the brush, and you had to kind of clear the the chamber out put some oil in it and continue you know continue uh, fighting but um uh, at the same time the russians had the belfed maxims and stuff when they were in the uh, uh, in defensive positions and then and this and dp27 was uh, more of a um a kind of assault type of gun now uh here in the U.S., we often call it DP-28. There is no such thing ever in existence. Some uh, game developer made a mistake and made and called it, and then because we know now we have two generations that grew up in the modern warfare and Call of Duty, this and this, and uh, now they call it DP-28. It's not. There was never a DP-28. There was DP-27. And then later, after the war, there was a DPM modernized. That's the one that's, um, that has the recoil spring into this, like at the back of the receiver. And they had a pistol grip instead of a regular rifle like uh, uh, buttstock. Yeah. Let me show so, you this then, real quick. I'm going to interrupt you. <clears throat> I found my, uh, my Poland picture. So. Oh yeah, there you go. See? There's there's me loading the uh, DP twenty seven or twenty eight. <clears throat> twenty twenty seven, not twenty eight. Twenty seven. No yep, you're reaching out to pull the uh, charging handle. Charging handle, and I got my hand down there on that little little hump. Yeah, yeah. I jacked something up, so he's he's walking me through it there. I got a video here somewhere. Well, when you come up to see me. You can uh, retake all those pictures again. <laughs> okay, you got one of these also. Of course, of course I do. You got Stalin's record player. I do, I do. And then I got to shoot that. So, uh, in 1943, Russians developed uh, uh, another uh, mounted machine gun that was more like a modern gun which was a big deal a big uh, a step forward in development of a bell fed um, full uh, 30 caliber machine guns which was the uh, sg43 
which was stands for Mounted Gurunov. And uh, a lot SG of SG33 stands for Mounted SG43, yeah. Gurunov. For, S is for Stanok, which means mount. And uh, G stands for a guy who designed Gurunov. Oh, you wonder with Dave? Yeah. David Fortier? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the video. Yeah. But anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so, um, although it was great uh, design and a good gun, as a matter of fact, uh, there's some of them floating around here. But it was, again, you couldn't fire it from a bipod. It had to be mounted on a wheeled uh, mount and so on and so on. So, Obviously, the need was, you know, the Russians were chasing the Germans in, in machine gun design at the time. And it was clear that uh, one of the uh, um, things that needed to be done was the, the belt ability to feed it from the belt. Because, you know, switching the, you know, switching the magazines between, you know, 47 round magazines uh, is not what in the and they wanted a longer uh, sustainable rate of fire right and then you got the mg's 34s firing 200 round belts and or mg's 42s you know i mean you obviously in disadvantage but uh so um as we all know in 1943 russia line i mean soviet union launched the uh a program to create intermediate cartridge as well as the weapons that would um, fire it. And the three types of guns that they identified for that program was automatic rifle, uh, carbine, semi-automatic carbine, and then uh, a light machine gun. And uh, the result was uh, RPD-44, SKS-45, and AK-47. Those three things that fired the same cartridge. And we talked about the SKSs before, but it's really and truly uh, dead on arrival because of the... It's... Um, um, Magazine? And no, I mean, it was like... A, it was marginally better in the good hands. Uh, if somebody with an AK was, uh, you know, compared to AK, it was marginally better, but that margin not large enough to, um, you know, to warrant the existence of that gun. Although anybody who shot SKS or owned SKS is absolutely in love with that gun. It just works like a freaking Zinger sewing machine. Yeah. Or, or Swiss watch or, or something <laughs> How else. How about a Rolex? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and um, so RPD 44, although it says 44, but they it didn't really get into the uh, military's hands until after the war, was somewhat um, a desired type of gun and uh, what they wanted to achieve to begin with. So it was, you know, it's on the heavy side. I think it's uh, 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 empty. It's uh, about seven kilograms um, with the with that drum, with the 100-round drum, which basically a case for that belt 
It has no springs, nothing. You just coil it like a like a, a snail. Uh, you coil that uh, uh, a belt and you just put it in there, and and you slide it on the gun on the bottom, latch it up, and it just you know just holds the belt in the which and your videos here you showing you guys don't have one. No, we're just but doing it uh, straight um, from the belt. Right. Not so it was also drone. so R R R P D stands for uh, the light machine gun Dikterov. Once again, Dikterov come came up with this uh, particular gun. Um, they had a problem with the feeding, and then they they had a I forgot the designer's name, but he came in and he designed the whole feeding system, the belt feeding system. Um, for that particular gun the gun was really good it was uh really like kind of ahead of its time in the way because there was nothing else out there that was firing intermediate cartridge full auto and belt fed at the time so the soviet military having that gun on the at their disposal kind of had the had the battlefield advantage in that in that regard so um yeah, so the gun was like good. It was kind of on the heavy side. Um, however, you know, I mean, uh, it was kind of like loved by uh, the uh, the troops. But again, it was a Dikterov, so it had all kinds of like little corks and and the, the the maintenance issues and things like this. So it had to be specifically trained on it. So in 1951, um, the Soviets. Design, uh, decided to unify most of their gun, uh, most of their uh, uh, weapons in the battlefield, and they wanted to see a lighter machine gun that could be easily uh, maintained by a regular soldier and it could be interchangeable in a way. And uh, uh, in 1959, with introduction of a stamp receiver AKM. Kalashnikov submitted his design of a light machine gun that uh, that military kind of liked, and it, that was the killer of the RPD, and uh, hence entered the RPK. You think uh, and, uh, Mikhail had a lot to do with that? Oh, absolutely, he had a lot to do with it. At that time, he was the guy who was walking on uh, clouds, right? So. Walking on water, he was, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because his gun all of a sudden uh, changed the warfare in a way, right? Yeah. So the biggest, uh, obviously, the attraction, uh, the RPK attraction, was the fact that uh, it had uh, close to seventy percent. Seventy percent of its components were closely either interchangeable or closely related to AK. Hang on just a sec, let me grab one. You got an RPK, Andrew? And it's basically, basically it became a heavier AK rifle, which any soldier in the squad, which I guess we need to talk about the squad structures and the any soldier in the squad could could basically uh, run this gun without 
any training. The only thing he's got to do is is kind of learn how to deploy bipod really and truly. But the rest of it was pretty much just like in the AK. Yeah. So so, so the, basically, what they did was they took a, an AK, lengthened the barrel, made it thicker, uh, kind of beefed up the trunnion, and um, that's where the bulge trunnion came from. From the there RPK. Yep. Yeah. That's the that's the bulge on it. I don't know if you can. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I see, see your bulge, Marco. I see your bulge. <laughs> Here's an RPK bulge. But uh, in any case, so uh, there was also they added, uh, because it was designed to fire the longer ranges and stuff, and you can see how much thicker the barrel is compared to uh, AK or okay. AKM. And they added, uh, uh, you know, uh, the rear side with the windage adjustment. Which, eh, I don't know, I'm, I'm a good old, I mean, I'm a big fan of the holdovers, but anyway, and uh, and the, uh, it's, you know, designated for 1,000 meters. And a threaded barrel, but uh, RPKs came in with a little knot, and I'd assume that the, the threaded barrel was more of a, um, for mounting some kind of flat uh, cage type of flash suppressor for using it with the uh, night vision scopes mm. at the time so it was a uh, okay so advantages were it's it just like an ak anyone can run it interchangeability with the magazines so get your kleenex boxes i'm about to show you a few things <laughs> So this is the regular stamped, um, you know, 40 rounder magazine that came the RPK with the early RPKs and apparently like all the um, Romanian versions of it come with the, the steel. This particular one is kind of light uh, and it's the it's a done in factory number three somewhere in Russia. So it's got it's got more stamps on it than than a three dollar hooker <laughs> is that the correct saying <laughs> all right here goes holy grail uh this is a Bake 40 light. round baker light so that, that was the next um next development in in uh, in the uh magazine uh development for rpks however I just noticed that this particular one, nobody in the world made them but the mullet. This particular one doesn't have a mullet shield, you know, that star with the shield yeah. around it. So there was probably designated for some uh, Nicaraguan Sandinistas or something, or some or some Cuban something rather, or somewhere in Mozambique. So uh, complaints were, well, you know, I mean, RPD had a hundred round belt, yeah, and and the uh, the AK has got you know forty round mags. Well, I mean, let's say you run out of ammo, you can just run, you know, you know, yell to your buddy and says, send me some magazines over here, and you can, you know, interchangeability with the mags was the biggest advantage of rpk compared to rpd mm -hmm. but the russian designers were not uh done with the development of magazines and they developed something like this 
Drum roll, please. Boom, a big drum mag now. Yep, 70 round That's drums. The European version. Yep, that's right, not Chinese. This is a Russian version with the ratchet as, as you put the rounds in. Yeah, so, I got one of them somewhere. You guys shoot, right? In the century, you, you guys brought in all kinds of Romanian stuff. Romanians copied this thing 100%. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the Romanians are now making the copy of the Chinese mag. Oh, they do. <laughs> okay. Well, anything to make money. Yeah, you that's know, what they're we, making we'll... now. But the front, the, the 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 front tilt is all European, Eastern Europeans, more or less, did that. But I've got one. I've got one original Russian. I bought from Classic Arms when I was probably seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the times we had, eh? We could buy all kinds of I've got a, I've got a couple of the pouches though. I've got a couple of original Russian pouches for him too. Like this? Yeah. I've got yeah. one like that, and I've got the uh, later, like, plastic-coated one. Yeah, the, the me, you know, actually wind up serving in the military and uh, serving around these things. I can't see carrying this on my belt, <laughs> you know, so it would be definitely in the pack somewhere, but, um, you know, it's rather heavy. But it, it kind of leveled the field uh, between RPD and an RPK in the way of uh, capacity and stuff. So yeah. uh, now I think I read yeah, this I mean, in your book is um, that the uh, light machine gun guys had to keep a close eye on their magazines. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting to it. Okay. Okay. Yes. If you leave something like this laying around, right, it will be gone and there would be nobody seen anything. And then <laughs> in one of the raids that you go on, you see that, uh, Guy from a different squad is sporting the forty rounders on your on his RP uh, on his AK. You would have questions, you know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yes, they would. And, and then later, the forty-five rounders were forget about it. They will be gone before you know it. But anyway, so let's talk about the organization of a squad. So. Germans during World War II organized their infantry squads around a machine gun. It's basically a machine gun with two more guys attached to that machine gun. And then the rest of them over there with the Mausers or, you know, or maybe uh, the MP40s or 38s or whatever, just as a support, so to speak. You know, they're, they're the guys that would, uh, you know, rely on the firepower of a, of a machine gun. And then then move forward as as the infantry. The Germans, the Germans did that. Yes, and yeah. uh, so their so, their philosophy was to move the machine guns forward. So the the infantry guys were more in support of the machine guns, so they could get the machine guns forward. Where the Americans and others were the opposite of that, where they used the machine guns to advance the the troops. They helped the troops to. That's yeah. right. So the, the German Germans were really kind of the first people to use them as an offensive weapon. Yeah, yeah and so therefore, yeah. I mean, if you look at their uh, later in the war, the MG 34s were now had the bipods on them. The MG 42s already came with the bump uh, um, uh, bipods and the quick uh, change barrels. I mean, quick so so quick that. Yeah, I don't know. It would take you probably five seconds to do it, and it's the easiest way. And uh, and uh, so on and so on. So now we got this RPDs and RPKs, 
which were uh, a, a truly a light machine gun, and they were issued to every uh, infantry squad and squad level. And then the squad is one thing, so you got that, uh, you know, the you got that light machine gun, but you you were lacking the the hitting power or firepower of a a full blown cartridge, like thirty caliber cartridge, and hence the entry of PKM. So obviously they tried to lighten the Gurunov SG gun that didn't work, and then you know it just it's too heavy. And then again it was Kalashnikov who came up with the uh, um, with the design. It's basically upside down. Uh, AKM rifle, uh, same principle, rotating bolt. They only they flipped it 180, so the gun is now fed from the top. Now the 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 trick there was how to make that belt work, right? Because all the all the like the German belts, uh, the American belts, you push the round through the belt, right? MG1M. I don't even know what that is. It's not PKM though. Bulgarian it's PKM. PKM and 308 or what? What cartridge are they uh, firing? Uh, this Vickers. Um, he's not firing that's, any rounds. That's right actually now. PK, not PKM, because it's got the red uh, barrel. Anyway, well, so go go comment PKM. on his video and tell him that he's wrong. Cool, uh, Larry. Yeah, he's not taking phone calls. He's not taking any messages these days. But. Yeah, that's the thing. Hang on, just a second. I'll get my PKM okay. for our viewers' pleasure. Mine too. So even though Paul can't be here, he's here in in spirit, ladies and gentlemen. So while he's getting his PKM, Carvin and his team. There's a. Paul's got some YouTube videos on the RPK. Oh, yeah. So um, this right here is one of my uh, two. I have one in semi-auto, which is this one, and then I have one in full auto. All right, so this is the bell fed. We got to do something about your lights, Marco. What's wrong with my lights? I got all kinds of studio lights in here. <clears throat> you need more on in front of you there. You get everything behind you. Uh, it's heavily, hav uh, uh, not modified, but like modernized. Yeah. So I got the Zenith fold out vertical group. And, but basically, uh, you know, so this gun is, uh, like I said, it's upside down AK. It's one of the lightest bell fed 30 caliber machine guns in the world, probably the lightest. I believe it's um, close to 13 pounds lighter than the M240. Mm. Okay. And uh, so it fires from Before you put all your accessories on there. It, it's lighter before you put all your accessories on there. Well, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Okay, so it's now lighter by eight pounds or something. Oh, okay. Still lighter. And uh, uh, that's the thing. It allows me to put the accessories on. So it fires from non-disintegrating belt, 
Um, but it's a two-stage feeding system where bolt after firing a round goes back and grabs the round and drops it into a feeding ramp. Then as it goes forward, uh, you know, pushed by recoil spring, it grabs that round and feeds it into the chamber and fires it. And then the way back again, it extracts it from the belt, fires it forward and so on and so on. About 700 rounds a minute, unbelievable, great weapon. Um, so I it mean, is, I, I, um, what, I mean, I've seen it used in anger to great effect. Under 20 pounds is what they're saying uh, on the stats that I'm looking at here, is how much one weighs. Okay. Anyway. Sub 20 pounds. So, Gun plus the bipod. Right. So the bipod folds either up, forward, and that's done for mounting the gun on this, on whatever the vehicles or whatever, or it folds backwards. Oh, what you? I'm just so just good. Knock a I'm tooth so out. fast. I was able. In my case, it won't be able to because of the handle. But it's once you mount it on the tripod, you you clip those legs into a special spring-loaded, uh, yeah, spring-loaded brackets, brackets providing more stability for it. Oh, this right here, I've got a picture of it here. Hold on, I'll show it real quick. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, see, see, see the. Oh, <laughs> Pointing on my screen, yeah. See the bipod is kind of it turned back, and then yep. you see it's latched into. Yeah, there you go, right here. So it was right out of gate. Was very successful design, which is uh, perseveres and survives to this day. So that took care of a platoon level um, machine gun uh, operators. However, modern warfare showed, even in the uh, war in Afghanistan in the 80s, showed that this gun should be issued, especially in like a reconnaissance units or like special forces or something. It should be issued on the squad level, along with additional RPKs. And then the people squealing about, oh, if I had the choice, I'll take the PKM. So they were using these with RPKs in conjunction oh, with yeah, yeah. They were using the them both. The squad would still have an RPK, but also would be additional machine gunner nowadays in the modern structure would have the PKM. Yeah. So is, would the PKM be more considered a medium? Yeah, it would be more, more like a medium gun than a right? light so one. Although, but it does have the designation of being a light machine gun for some reason. Hmm. Well, because it's probably no longer crew served, right? So it's um, it's a one guy operation. Yeah, it's almost like uh, having your um, AK with you, you know. But well, unless you throw it up AK. on that tripod, then I mean, that's a lot for one dude to carry all that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the tripod came with the straps too, so the other guy would be probably a gunner assistant would carry that. Yeah, and then the entire unit will take on the burden carrying the extra belts and stuff. Yeah. So. Um, and that's still so shooting it, the seven six two, but three nine. 
No, this is in 762 by 54R. By 54R, okay. Yeah. So bigger, heavier, round. Yeah, more, more power. I mean, changing, quick changing barrels. Not as quick as, um, say, uh, MGs. Yeah. You know, the German, but still pretty, you know, pretty fast. Yeah. And, um, um, when you, you know, were in it, service, it issue, did you use, with, I was going to, sorry, sorry, when you were in service, did you use both of those? Yeah, absolutely. So you had, you had group, experience. Had with, a, all of them. Kind of weird, but most of our, like, NCOs carried our PKs anyway. Because they heavier, long-hitting rifles. More ammo. More ammo, more sustained fire with a thicker, a longer barrel. Yeah. So, uh, moving on, uh, comes to 1974, um, and uh, Soviets dis- decide to, in a brilliant move, in my opinion, and you know, for some reason, like in in the U.S., majority of the people, uh, and I'm not sure if they actually had a uh, chance to serve in the military or not. But it seems like a consensus in in the uh, firearm, um, not industry per se, but uh, let's say uh, environment, that you know seven six two round is is it, and the five four five round is shit. Now, I'm here to tell you that it is incorrect assessment. Five four five, in my opinion, is probably the greatest fighting cartridge uh, that ever designed by human race. Uh, it, it has a distance, is uh, enough energy and, and hitting power. It is accurate. The, the recoil is not, uh, negligible, to say the least. And um, uh, you can, it's 30% lighter, so you can carry more ammo into your battle if you have to. Yeah. Obviously, if you make your regular weekend uh, range trips, it doesn't matter. But when you're humping, uh, your loadout up and down the mountains, I mean, that's a big deal. You know, it's sort of like the same effect that the guy switching from, let's say, uh, uh, let's say M14s to M16s or even going down to M4s. Yeah. You know. Switching out so, of 308 to a, to a 5.56. Oh, yeah. And the larger capacity magazines, lighter and more easy handling, you know, handling guns. And again, you 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 have all the stories about oh how the guys in Vietnam didn't like them. They didn't. They wouldn't go through the through the jungle and all this stuff. I mean, uh, and uh, the it would jam and whatnot. Yeah, early on, the, that Indonesian ammunition was maybe the suspect or whatever. But uh, once the ammo more more, more consistent. It became a pretty good rifle. Uh, maybe you have to maintain it a little more than, let's say, uh, an AK, but you never were issued an AK. You're coming off the M4, M, what is it, M1A1 mm-hmm. or M14. And uh, so anyway, so I thought it was a brilliant move. From, uh, it's a great thing. It gave a birth to a series of weapons that, uh, 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 in my opinion, outstanding weapons and in popular opinion, one of the sexiest guns in the world, which is AKS-74U, right? Uh, some reason they call it Krinkov. 
you know, would love to take something we read in the Soldier of Fortune and then uh, and then make it uh, make it uh, uh, a thing, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so the, yeah, enter the RPK seventy four, and uh, let me grab it. And obviously, this would make sense since you know they so before the AK seventy fours podcast me and marty were talking and i think i've said it before in the um uh previous episodes where i said if you have a wedding to go to or you have a court appearance or funeral or something scheduled or maybe you have to catch a flight somewhere and then this dude with beard comes to you and says hey man you want to shoot rpk 74 full auto so you drop whatever you were doing, and you go and you shoot RPK-74 full auto. It's the greatest full auto gun that was designed by human race. That's a you bold statement. You have so much freaking pleasure from shooting it. Picture uh, a 22, a plinker, going full auto. That's what the RPK-74 is. So, Andrew, why didn't we have one of these at your, your wedding? <laughs> you're you're muted. Because <laughs> the ammo is too damn expensive now, Marty. Yeah, but no, you work for a company. Like Eight hundred dollars a thousand. You know a guy. You work for a company. Come on. Yeah. Shit, man. We have an any five four five and many a moon. Mm. The the gun brokers full of it. Also, yeah. all those seventy five to a dollar five around. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, I made a, I made a point of not buying anything over a fifty cents around. There's nothing available currently at that price. I was looking today. You did. Yeah. All right. Well, seventy-five, anyway. seventy-four cents about as cheap as you can get it. But I'm here to tell you that uh, there's a container leaving in the um, leaving next week from uh, to out of uh, out of Azerbaijan coming over here. A full container. One and a half million rounds. And who's Still got case. dibs on it? Well, I mean, it's Tele Impacts, uh, the importer I work with. Uh, he's a little pricey. Uh, he doesn't see that. He's like more of an opportunist type of guy. But I told him if you're going to offer a constant uh, stream of supply, the price is going to go down. You're going to have to be prepared for it. And he says he knows. Yeah. But anyway, we got a source of uh, steel case ammo now. You're uh, still muted, Andrew. At least Andrew. one container a month. You're muted, Andrew. Andrew, you're muted. You're muted. <laughs> the sudden, the uh, the five four five to thirty nine. It uses a specific type of powder, and there's very few places you can get that powder. And yeah, so what ends up happening is uh, we can't bring it to the United States using Chinese powder. We can't bring it to the United States using Russian powder. So well, they have to pay a much higher price for the powder in that round currently, um, and that that's really where the where the pricing is is causing issue for these for people that are trying to bring more steel case in not from Russia. Um, that just well, bring it's bringing the price pretty high up right now, but hopefully it'll level off. With, yeah, with, yeah. With, some, I, with demand, it'll level off, but we'll see. Yeah, I I think the proper price for that would be somewhere around fifty cents until this other source is developed, but. Um, uh, this is from Azerbaijan, used to be part of the Soviet Union, so they built those per ghost. Ghost is the sta state standard. 
in the uh, uh, and uh, so it's uh, every little bit it should be every little bit as good as any Tula or Barnaul or something. But we'll see. Once it arrives, they send me a box, and I'll what's I'll the uh, ETA on that? Um, it should be the beginning of uh, December, like first week of December. It'll come to Savannah, Georgia. Oh, okay. And then be distributed from that. So anyway, PK-74 is a representative of AK-74. Um, uh, uh, family. This right here is dressed in that plum furniture, but originally they came out with the uh, uh, laminate wood. So still a thicker, longer barrel. Um, still, uh, you know, bulged. Trunian. But the rest of it is exactly the same as a, as a RPK, original RPK. So the, the switching from this to the other, I mean, from 7.62 but to 5.45. Hold uh, it at an angle. RP like, you no, know, tilted more up to the ceiling because the, the light will reflect off of it that way. Put your butt, yeah, I like that. There you go. So, uh, and the one more addition to this thing was the cage type flesh hider. Flesh hider. And it's pretty, you know, being as small as it is, but it's pretty effective. So between uh, the, the RPK um, 47 and the 74, those are the, the main differences? Other than, I mean, obviously the ammo. The ammo and, magazines. Uh, and flash hider, that's pretty much it. Same uh, um, the rear side, everything is pretty much safe. So just because you didn't need to produce the same number of uh, um, RPKs as you had to for AKs, because you know in the squad you would have one, and you may have up to uh, nine, eight or nine AK uh, riflemen. So the entire production of RPK was given to a factory called Molot in the city of Vatsky Poliany, a small little town. I've been there, I don't know, seven, eight times. Um, and uh, that's where they produce they produce these guns, and to this day they're making them. That's a manufacturer of a Vepr carbines. Yeah. So um, there was no steel stamped magazines produced for RPK-74. The, the original magazine was a Bakelite. And you could see uh, you could see the shield with the star in it. Yeah. That's the mullet mark. And then once they, um, in the mid-80s, they switched to a plum furniture. And the new magazine came out. It's kind of almost black, dark, um plum right and uh you can bring your kleenex box if you want it's extremely rare magazine and how many rounds did it hold 45 as opposed to 40 rounds okay and both of this will be stolen if you're not watching them you, you literally got to take your pouch and put it under your pillow in barracks <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they'll be gone. 
So uh, he did comes they, in 1990. Did they develop a, a drum mag for that? Uh, there is one now. Okay. And they were attempts to make one. Uh, never passed the, the military testing, so they didn't <clears> issue those. But they finally made one because they made uh, some advances in uh, they trying to match the AK-12 kind of development, and they came up with RPK-16. And that was uh, actually RPK-16 was uh, built by Ishmash, not a mullet. And it's got like a quick switching barrel, so you can have a shorter barrel if you need it, longer barrel if you need it. Um, uh, more modern, has got all the modularity to it, so you got the handguards with all kinds of Picatinny and whatnot. Same thing with the top cover and everything. And for that particular gun, they developed a 5.45 drum, which is very similar to the 7.62 that I showed earlier. But it's made out of plastic, and I'm seeing the footage from Ukraine. I see some of the guys using those. Yeah. So uh, here comes 90s. Drop in state financing, right? So the, the both the Mullet and the Zmash had to look elsewhere to, uh, to earn the buck. Hence entered the 100 series. AKs, you know, the AK-74M that was adopted by the military. But then you got the AK-101, uh, 102, 103, 104, and 105. And uh, what are those were basically it's the AK-74M and the AK-105 that were in 5.05, AK-101 and 102 in 5.56. And then 103 and 104 are in 762 by 39. But other than calibers, everything was the same. Same furniture, same appearance and accessories and everything else. So in the same way, the mullet, so the idea was to sell it uh, for export. You know, com the countries that love AKs in the past and they want to have a newer version so here, here it is. So you want it in five, five, six. We have this two. Uh, you have in, you want it in seven, six, two by thirty-nine. We have this two. So Mullet uh, comes up with their own RPK in five, five, six. Uh, hang on a second. I'll show it. All right. Who would have thought that they would have come For out with all five, five, six? Purposes, this is basically a K seventy-four. Yeah. I mean, it looks exactly the same. It's got that cage uh, flash hider. Um, uh, this particular one is RPK-S. So it's the folder. Actually, uh, you can fold it. I got the folding stock. And other than that, it's exactly the same as uh, RPK-74. The only difference is it's in 5.56 rather than a 545 and it's got a um, black furniture and improved pistol grip mm. which okay. i find it extremely comfortable and of course uh a new magazine sort of like ak-74 yeah little straighter less ribs black 
Still 45 rounds? Still 45 rounds. Okay. And what year did they come out with this? Like a 1992, 91, 92, something. Tried to sell this thing to uh, um, whoever wants to buy it, I guess. you know. I can comment on that, actually. Okay. So what ended up happening was Malat and Vepper, or uh, Malat, Vepper, the brand or whatever, and previous to Ismash as well, at that time, the U.S. was the largest market, hands down. And we weren't buying any of the Russian stuff because the Chinese stuff cost pennies. So the U.S. market wasn't willing to pay that kind of price for a brand new manufactured gun when you could get them from the Chinese for, you know, next to nothing. Did I lose you guys there for a second? No, no. no. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah, so, and so it, it was really just a commercial market situation. They produced the guns. They didn't have a customer to buy them, so they stopped producing the guns. Um, obviously, later on in my career at like RWC, they still had tooling. They still could make that stuff. Um, so we constantly were trying to battle with them to get them to put it back into production. Um, of course, it, some of that stuff sort of came back into production later, but not a lot of it. But yeah, in the early 90s, they were trying to export all kinds of cool, crazy stuff, but the Chinese just priced them out of the market. That's true. Until, until who was it, Clinton, that banned all the Chinese imports? Everybody blames Clinton, and I love to blame Clinton, but it was actually Bush. <laughs> is, is there a difference? Yeah, exactly. Freaking, he's a, a picture politician for Rhino. They're all politicians. Yeah. Introducing our new belly band holster. Whether you're hitting the gym or running a quick errand, our belly band is one of the most comfortable and safest ways to carry your firearm. The center section allows you to carry most common pistols. Left or right-handed, this has you covered. A hard laminate trigger shield protects the firearm's trigger from unwanted intrusion, giving you ease of mind while carrying every day. Two elastic sleeves give you the flexibility to carry other everyday items, such as spare mags, flashlight, knife, or pepper spray. Two zippered pockets run on both sides, offering the option to carry smaller items, such as money, cards, or keys. Flush fit on your lower back or waist, easily keeping your setup discreet no matter how you choose to carry. Utilizing 3D spacer mesh, these channels allow for exceptional and efficient airflow, giving you maximum comfort and keeping you cool. Carry whenever you want, how you want, with our new belly band holster. Available now. Go to missionfirsttactical.com. Use the code LEADHEAD for an exclusive listener-only 20% discount. In any case, uh, so that's my presentation for today. That's it? That's all you got? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I went on for an hour and a half. Poor no. Andrew didn't even get a two words in. Hey, man, I love listening to stuff like this. I'm a nerd, too. But, you know, of course, obviously, they exported all those designs just like they did the AK-47 around the world. So there's you can dig and dig and dig and dig even in the machine gun and light machine gun and, and squad automatic weapon type. Uh, and there's a million different versions just like with the AK-47. So it's 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 super interesting and cool um, to expand into that, you know, on the AK corner because. Just like the AK, it's kind of a bottomless pit. You can just dig and dig and dig and learn and learn and learn. And you'll still, every once in a while, 
and I'm sure Marco can say this too, he'll pop into something he's never seen before. You'd be like, what the hell? I didn't know this existed. And so it's fun like that. I mean, that's why we're all into AKs. I mean, yeah. at least most of us stateside are because it's interesting. It's not the boring homogenized, you know, AR world or M16 world. There's all kinds of cool stuff out there. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, what about... I was talking about... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, um, yeah, and I will, I will just throw this in here because, you know, as everyone out there knows, I work at Century Arms. Um, the Romanian AES-10B is a semi-automatic version um, that the Romanians manufacture, and we imported Century Arms. We haven't been able to import them and haven't gotten any almost two years. Um, we are getting some in December. Um, first shipment, a very long time of AES-10Bs. Um, it's actually an AES-10B2 now, but they have some slight changes there, no big deal. Um, but uh, but they um, we're going to start getting those hopefully in December. So you'll see those out in the market again, which they haven't been around for a couple of years. So that'll be cool. That would be awesome. Uh, I actually want to get one to turn into uh, the machine gun and add it to our ROTC training fleet. And Marty, have you you've shot the one at Royal Range, haven't you? I haven't. I knew that they got one and they converted it to a full auto. I got I got one of uh, God. When you when when did you do the uh, three? How many years ago was that? About three. Four? Three years, yeah. So we got that from like three years ago. The last time we got them in, and that's a fun gun to shoot, man. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's why I want to add it to the um, because it's proliferated all around the modern battlefield. Anywhere you go. So I want to add it to um, to our fleet. So I'm going to have to save up all my um, food coupons and stuff. Well, it definitely save. got more expensive over the last two years. Let me tell you, like all the <laughs> Romanian imports. <laughs> For sure. Well, it kind of sure. leads me to what I was going to ask is, you know, the, the other country variants of the, the RPK and... You know, all the Chinese had, well, this, I don't know, I don't know what the military version of the Chinese one was, but the commercial version we brought in back in the day was the NHM 91. Right. Um, I've got yeah. a couple of those, Marty, we can mess with sometime if you want. Yeah, definitely. Um, so and then an let me comment, but I don't have any Russian ones. Let me comment, comment on that one. Okay. <clears throat> so at, at that time, uh, in the, uh, 80, and I'm sorry, early... Um, early 90s, yeah. <laughs> no, early 50s or mid-50s. Oh. When Khrushchev came to power, uh, the Soviet Union and China kind of uh, had their um, relationship go sour. And uh, and I think the, the rumors have it that Khrushchev would not get, share the uh, hydrogen bomb technology with Mao. And Mao blamed Khrushchev that he uh, he um, betrayed the ideals of the revolution, and so on and so on. So, although the original um, milled receiver AKs were exact clones of the Soviet AK-47s, the older uh, uh, Chinese stamped guns, or we, as we know, Type 56 were unlicensed copies of all Chinese take on uh, the Soviet AKM, which at that time, Russians would not share any more technology with them or sell them the license. And the same thing when with the, you know, same thing we can say about the, uh, um, what was it called, NMD or something? 
Uh, I can't remember what the military designation. The the civilian one was the NHM. NHM. I'm sorry, yeah. NHM 91. So it's basically. Uh, so they didn't. Uh, they threw a bipod on it that didn't belong there. Uh, the barrel was shorter. The I don't think it was even a, a bulge receiver. It was just a thicker receiver made out of thicker steel. But other than that, uh, I mean, it was <clears throat> basically their take on the RPK. The next one that we know, we already talked about the Romanians, but we talk, we didn't talk about the uh, uh, Yugoslavian M. Do you remember, Andrew, what was the designation on Yugo version? M78? Hold, hold on, my pause just on. I'm trying to figure it out. But anyway, so just like um, uh, with, the, you know, although... Yugoslavia was a socialist country based on the, you know, proletariat, blah, 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 ideals, right? But Josef Brostito and Josef Stalin did not get, get along. And so although Yugoslavia was the socialist country, but it was not part of the Soviet bloc, right? The like M72? Is that what it is? M72. Sastava. Uh -huh. And, and, they, uh, so, and they, they, they built their weapons platform less around fighting the West and more around fighting Russia. Well, they not necessarily. Not but, necessarily, uh, but, but they didn't have uh, basically, basically, the, the Russians ne never, never gave them the license for AK. They did for SKSs, but never the AKs nor the RPKs. And what wind up happening is two Albanian uh, border guards jumped the fence and went over the fence with their guns. And that's how the Yugoslavians got their hands on two AKs, right? AK, uh, uh, maybe AKMs at the time. And uh, so when they sent them to uh, Zastava, obviously the two guns was not um, large enough quantities to do the full reverse engineering so they said that they liked the guns they something they had the huge potential but they need to get more and so yugoslavia through the back door wind up going to one of the friendly uh african countries that russia supplied with all kinds of akms and rpks and they wind up buying 2200 rifles you know so many RPKs and so many AKs from that African country and thus started their own um, M70 and M72 uh, production program. That's how the, that's how Yugo's, uh, Yugo AKs came to be. And of course, they improved on certain things. Well, they thought they improved on it. They changed a few things. That's why the parts is not interchangeable, although it's clearly an AK. So... And uh, their M72 version with the ripped barrel and stuff, with the, the cooling fins and stuff towards the Trunian, that's their version of it, of uh, RPK. Very cool. Let's do this. Let's go to uh, listener questions now. And uh, this episode, we've got uh, Mission First Tactical. We're going to give away one of their large drinking containers. May not be this one, but it'll be one. I don't know which one they'll send. Uh, and then also seal one, we'll send you a cleaning kit, seal one and done. I don't have my kit handy. I think I gave it away. I haven't found it in a couple of days. So 
But uh, we're going to give one of you lucky listeners a SEAL 1 uh, COP Plus complete gun cleaning kit as well. So let's go to our listener questions now. And Mac Packing asked, and I think we already answered this, what was the first modern LMG light machine gun? Andrew, do you want to take that one? Okay, I, what was the first modern one? What does he consider modern? I would twentieth century. I would say. Okay, I don't know. I mean, what you you tell me, Marco. I'm thinking it has to be MG34, MG42, the German guns. Yeah, I mean the 42 is probably the first real modern, you know. Right, like because it, it still serves. It's yeah, I mean, MG3, I think. Yeah, we copied uh, so, it. Everybody copied that machine gun when it came out. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say something really really heretic kind of I'm gonna make a heretic statement. Even uh, even even the M60 uh, owes its uh, it's MG42. That's what I meant. I mean, I said the Americans copied it. That's what I meant. Yeah, Man, uh, yeah, yeah. A, it's got the exact same uh, what you call it as the as the MG. Top well, I mean, one would argue well, it's di- different, different gas system, yes, but from trunium to back, it's pretty much. It's certainly we'll, 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 we can all agree that it's heavily influenced. Yeah, yeah. let's put it that way. Let, <laughs> yeah, let, let's not go into that's the PC way to say it. It was yeah. heavily influenced. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yes. Bailey Muller, eighty. What are the pros cons of using or not using disintegrating belts from an operator standpoint? Why might NATO and Soviet designers preferred one over the other? Personal favorite LMG is the German MG3, but if I had to carry one around for any amount of time, I'd want an RPK because mag slash ammo interchangeability within my squad plus lighter weight. Honorable mention to the Polish UKM two thousand. If I had to carry a belt fed, it's it'd be that one. Mm. Well, good choices. Uh, uh, although um, you know the belt fed, it, it's hard to replace the power of a thirty caliber belt fed uh, as opposed to RPK, which is intermediate uh, uh, cartridge. However, you know obviously the the mag inter- interchangeability comes into play uh, now disintegrating non-disintegrating belts is has to do with the ability to recharge the belt in the lull of a situation when when uh, let's say uh, enemy is regrouping and you can reload them out of uh, regular tins uh, instead of uh, you know somebody will have it already in the boxes or linked and stuff so there's a it's a really uh a choice of how you manage your battlefield is I'm, what I'm saying. Because once you run out of, uh, of belted ammo, that's it, the gun is useless. Whereas on the other hand, even if you have like, let's say uh, there's a numerous people carrying a loose ammo, including like, let's say SVT, SVD operators and stuff and so on and so on, you can refill it and then you can pack the loose ammo into a, a packs and stuff into your backpack or some pouches, you can pack a lot more a loose ammo as opposed to a linked ammo. 
And um, that's the only difference. And like I said, both both of those have um, the, I guess, right to exist is what I'm saying. Okay. Lights out, Oki Coyotes. Do you see the squad weapons ever going away or will they continue to make them more efficient? What do you think about the Sig Sauer new squad weapon system? I don't I don't I don't think that they're going to go away. Uh you know, I mean there's uh, modern warfare is, is nothing like was World War 2 or World War 1 where you had this uh you know, frontal assaults with the, you know, like a regiments after regiments and whatnot. It's more, you know, it's more of a address type of missions nowadays. And I'm thinking that uh, that's quite automatic, providing especially being the lighter and easier easier to wield. Uh, like for example, the 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 saw that we all love to hate. Um, or RPK for that matter. I mean, they still got a, a spot on the uh, battlefield in, in the way of a fire support role or, uh, you know, you know, fire suppress, suppression role, which can fire longer um, at the longer distances with the uh, more sustained fire ability, meaning not the short bursts or semi-automatic, but the actual... Uh, medium to long bursts so i'm thinking they're not going away anywhere i mean they would probably become more modern in the way of uh, or more improved in the way of uh, being more reliable yeah and i think that's what they're like you said they're going to continue um those weapons but they're just going to continue to improve upon them yeah they're just going to continue to evolve become lighter have higher capacity more penetration more accuracy I mean, it's just going to, you know, keep going. I mean, th it's definitely not leaving. I don't think it's leaving anyone's military anytime soon. Until we get to blasters. Yeah. Until we get lightsabers and blasters. Star Wars blasters. So what about, about man, even Star Wars, they got squad automatic weapons. Yeah, they Chewbacca. do. <laughs> Look at Chewbacca, man. Chewie's like, thrown around his MG-42. My thing is, like, they, they, they teach the Star Troopers to march in formation and stuff but none of them can hit the shit it's like the, the worst marksman yeah they're all over the place man i'm telling you it's worse than cobra gi <laughs> joe so what do you think about the new sig um automatic rifle here squad automatic Come oh. on me uh, either one of you yeah what do we, isn't this what the Army adapted? This is their new... Yeah, I mean, I haven't been able to shoot one, so I don't have a whole lot of opinion about it. Um, I've never even picked one up, so... Looks pretty. Uh, I don't, I well, don't know that's, a whole lot that's about all it. I can cool. say. Yeah, that's all I can say. It's a pretty picture. Yeah. yeah. They look pretty. Looks but think cool, about it, you know... I'm assuming it works because they bought a bunch of them. Yeah. Even if you drop it, I guess it works, too. I don't know. Hopefully. Is it going to fire? I don't know. I don't know. All right, next question. Let me fix my screen. That was lights out. Um, B. Hurst. Get down here. B. Hurst. Looks like he's got a couple of questions. Did any country ever make an underfolder RPK, or was it just a James River Armory thing? I have one 
runs fine, but never seen picks of old ones. Yeah, I think that's just something JRA made because he had all those kits. Um, so I, he made a couple things that were just made up for sure. I mean, he was basically just putting RPK barrels on standard AKs. Um, so he did a bunch of cool. I mean, they're, they're cool. I got no problem with it. Um, they don't I mean they work. They're fine. It's just, but the, he wasn't building RPKs technically. He was taking kits and building all kinds of stuff with parts that they had. Um, but good builds from what I've heard, and I've shot a few of them. They're pretty cool. They're very heavy. Here is a but, picture. Uh, but yeah, very cool. Uh, he sent me. But no, I don't know picture. if anyone had ever made an actual underfolder. The only ones I've seen is the full stock side folder, and then the the skinny wire. Um, side folder from the paratrooper version. I I don't think I've ever seen an underfolder, Marco. No, never seen one. Um, uh, the only folders that I've seen were of RPK seventy fours. Even yeah. the the early ones dressed in the in the limited furniture, and they were side folders. And uh, you know, with understanding that the only time that you're gonna fold your your RPK stock is when you Jumping. actually jump with the parachute so the stock doesn't hit you in the jaw. Yeah. But I will say one thing. Um, that, that wire folder or the, what they call the wire folder, if you shoot that thing in full automatic fire, it sucks. Oh, <laughs> it, it really, does? really sucks. Yeah. You need to get a towel, put a towel down I'm or not, something. I'm not a fan. I mean, it's not, not good. It's not good at all. I don't even like shooting my my standard Romanian side folder because it's just it's just not that enjoyable. <laughs> all right, next question. Come out and PLA play. Could there be? Oh, speaking of Chandler being died, could there be any more questions? No. Could there be, or is there already an RPK with a variable cyclic rate similar to what the M two forty has? If not, would having that feature benefit the RPK as far as rate of fire control and barrel heat? No need for that. I mean, the the gun is designed to fire in like five to six round bursts. And if the guy knows what he's doing as a machine gunner, I mean, there's a reason why there's no quick change barrels and stuff in RPKs. I mean, it's not it's not designed for that, and uh, the cyclical rate of uh, RPK is about the same as a uh, AK, which is uh, anywhere between six and seven um, uh, hundred rounds per minute. Um, I don't I don't see need for it, quite honestly. Yeah. I, I mean, but it's my personal opinion, and I'm you know not uh, I mean, the only thing i could maybe see on a modernized version is if they were going to shoot it suppressed having some sort of gas regulation but ak's are typically and rpk's are the same way they're typically all overgassed anyway um so it's it's not going to really be an issue so i don't it's one of those things where sure they could do it it's easy as hell to put a regulated gas system on on an ak platform but why it's another one is the solution to a problem that doesn't exist right exactly I mean, PKM has a variable, uh, I mean, it's got three-position adjustable gas system, but it mainly has to do with the with the uh, fouling and the temperature. Um, here's a question from someone. He says, who's the new brand manager for Century Arms? <laughs> 
the Chad Enos asked that question. Chad Enos asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was a I'm joke. Slow, I'm slowly was, building a dream team, Marty. I'm slowly building a dream team. Just uh, come up with my price and I'll join. <laughs> uh, Brett Badal. Are any of the LMGs able to switch between mags and belts easily? Any part kits on the market today that would make a good build to bring back from the dead? Can I mention, so um, obviously the M249 saw claims to be able to feed out of a uh, uh, belt and then magazine. Yeah. But uh, out of magazine, not reliably. That's number one. Number two, that magazine is trash afterwards. Uh, it will be deformed. However, a few years back, I think it was a, a Marine Corps who ran a program of something, the mission ready something rather. It's like a beefed up uh, AR lower and with the with the uh, upper with bell fed um, uh, ability. Mm-hmm. And, I, uh, I've seen good. one like that. Yeah, I've seen them too. Yeah, my son has it actually, and it's an awesome machine gun too. Yeah, I've heard they so, run good. So the nut nutsack uh, goes into the <laughs> you know industry term. Uh, the hundred round nutsack uh, goes into the the uh, magazine magwell, right into a regular magwell, and then of course you feed in the belt. Once you run out of the belt. That, so there's an adapter that clicks in, and then you use your regular M249 nut sacks attached to that uh, adapter. Once you add a belt, you just simply eject that uh, adapter, and then you start feeding your regular magazines in. And that it's works kind of like, it's kind of mag- like a, a bench block, kind of locks into the magwell, Marty. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could. Uh, like my son was here, he would he would have brought it in. So none of the uh, RPK variants or anything like that have any capabilities like that? No, just the strict magazines. Okay. All right, next question. John Adams, second or third? How many eyes are there? John Quincy? <laughs> no, John, John Adams the third, I think is what it is. I'm a glass. I know, I know who he is. He's a regular. Uh, he says, I have had the opportunity to shoot the Negev, which I have too, and I love it. And it is a pleasure to shoot and very controllable. Always heard great things about the RPD too. My question is, which is the most reliable? Uh. <laughs> um, love the question. Uh, I can only speak for RPD, which was uh, lacks in hundred percent uh, reliability compared to. RPK even, but I I have no appreciable experience with Negev other than having shot it a few times. Yeah. But I never carried it. I never, uh, you know, it was never in the, any kind of dirty environment or. I mean, when so I have no I have no answer for that. Other than RPD is not, uh. RPK, which is like a the, maybe a measurement of re- reliability in LMGs. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Nikolai Applebnablablablab. The RPK holds a special place in my heart, being the first full auto I've ever shot. Simple, effective. I love the fact the mags are interchangeable with your standard infantryman's mags without having to mess with belts and just all-around badass. Then there's the Negev. Cyclic rate and controllability are flat-out impressive in comparison. So my question is, for logistics and simplicity, which do you all prefer, box-fed or belt-fed when it comes to actual combat application? Is there a place for both in the modern battlefront? Definitely a place for both because, you know, we, we talk about this in firearms all the time. Guns are tools. Yeah. One tool doesn't do every job. Exactly. So there's always going to be a place for a heavier belt-fed machine gun as opposed to a lighter weight, more mobile you know, lighter yeah. machine guns. I see so, the lighter, I mean, the, the lightweight machine guns, you know, the mags being the, the best fit for them. And then as you go up in size in the the machine guns, then, you know, you get into the, the belt feds. It depends on your environment. It depends on your mission. Yeah. It depends on a, a, lot, a lot of things. You need both. You just, you just need both. Yeah. All right. Let's take one more here. He'll go to Glotru. Let's see. Why do some variations of the RPK have magwell dimples while others have the Wasser 10 welded plate style? Different types of manufacturing. I mean, everybody does things a little bit different and they change manufacturing, but, you know, same reason they made the dimples, you know, why did they do the dimples instead of the welding? Why did they change the welding from the dimples and go back and forth? Um, so it's manufacturing costs, it's different designers, it's different things like that. Um, people will argue to the end of time which one's better. So, you know, there's no reason to keep going with that one. Andrew. All, all four that I have here yeah. don't have dimples. Yeah. They all mullet receivers. Y'all know and... the Russian stuff will. Um, yeah, so that's that's the majority of the questions. I think we covered most of them. So let's do the giveaway. Let's do the giveaway. So, who do you guys think deserves the Seal One package? Which question do you did you like for the Seal One package? My man. Uh, maybe who needs it the most? The people that run Negevs. <laughs> the ones who. <laughs> the ones. I think they need a little lube, a little cleaning. They get dirty. Let's see who asked. Uh, I think we had two Negev questions. I know, yeah. I had two. Trying to Give find to the, the first, first one. one. Yeah, I was trying to see who asked the first one. Nikolai asked the the first one, or I mean the second one. You remember Nikolai, don't you, Marco? He was on with us one episode. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, big fan. He's a big fan. He, he wanted me to tell you to say hey. All right. So, hey, Nikolai. I'm telling you, hey. <laughs> there, there you go. I'm voting for Nikolai. There you go. It sounds like Nikolai's getting that seal one. Brown, he brown-nosed his way right into a seal one cleaning kit. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It's going to be the guy who asked it the first. Um, All right. I'm trying to find it. I mean, So, it's not just to, to since we're on the subject, yeah. Marty, we talked about it. Um, maybe uh, the next one. We'll give away the Marcos experience. No, we're going to talk. About, we're going to talk about that. Hold on. 
I'll be damned. Oh, here we go. John Adams. There you go. John Adams the third. You get seal one. Um did didn't ask Mustang Perry. Um because then when I put in there, I was asked, what's your favorite LMG? And he says, by far, it's the BAR for me. It is definitely not the best, but just my favorite. I don't really have a question this month, but would like to know everyone's preference between all the LMGs. I, I like the BAR, too. I mean, it's just, it's just a pleasure to shoot. It's fun to shoot. The Negev was really fun to shoot. The... Um, the um, what's the, the drum one? That I just said. DP twenty seven. Yeah, the DP twenty seven was. I like them all. I mean, they're they're all fun. I've shot saws before. Yeah, uh, I've shot the RPDs, shot the RPKs. I like them all. I would like any of them. The one that I had would be the one that I like the most. All right, so let's give away the drinky drink. Who gets the mission first? Big gulp. Drinky drink. There was a question about uh, like a development, further development of RPKs and whatnot. You didn't want you didn't want Chad to have one. You didn't want Chad to win. Oh, what was his question? <laughs> who's who's the new brand manager for Century Arms? Oh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling he may have one of those drinking vessels already. Oh, he yeah, he's got one of my uh, AK corner ones. That I left at when we went to um, Sturgis. Lucked out, huh? Yeah. How much of a difference does the RPK know? So you're at, he he asked about. I remember the question. Do you see like them continuing? Is that what it was? Yeah, that's the one. The squad weapons. Okay. Do you see squad yeah, weapons right. ever going away, or will they continue to make them uh, more? Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's okay. Send the man a drinking. Uh, that is lights out. Tactical water jug. Lights out. Okie coyotes. Speaking of Mission First Tactical, I got to see old, uh, Dave a couple weeks ago. That's what I heard. I had uh, Raf on um, oh, nice. a couple episodes ago, so y'all make sure you go back and listen to that. Bursa's got a lot of new stuff uh, on the horizon that they're getting ready to to drop. Uh, 1911, a new 1911 being one of those. So. It's cool. I saw it. Yeah, I shot it. I got to shoot it. Excellent. Pretty sweet. So, all right, there you go, Leadheads. That's it. Uh, appreciate everybody uh, that took part, participating in our, our questions. And uh, we'll do it again next month. Next month's going to be the AK versus the AR episode. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, looking forward to I that I do one. have my, my, my boxing gloves yeah. ready. Get them ready. You won't even need them, Marco. AR gets their ass kicked every year. Every time, brutally <laughs> and unashamedly, we kick AR's ass every single year. So what we're talking? So Andrew, what we're trying to put together for next year is an actual range event, AK versus AR, and do the episode at the range and actually have some like shooting competition set up, like like relay. Actually, I love that. Some relay. Well, Will they be past 100 yards? Well, there'll be different stuff set up, yeah. So we'll have different stuff set up. It just depends. But that's something Marco and fun. I are, are working on. I'll be I'll be running instead of Dan. It's not going to be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> it's a relay, so you could you could pick your 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 station that you want to uh, compete in. But 
what was what was the old YouTuber Dugan? What was his name? Oh yeah, um, um, uh, Carnicon Dugan. Yeah, Car. Yeah, was that Carnicon? Was that what he's called? Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be very similar to his nine versus forty-five videos. Whatever happened to him? I used to love his videos. Uh, several things I think happened that I, I heard he was like making a comeback too. He was on somebody's show not too long ago. I don't know. Uh, you had him on your show a long time ago, didn't you? I yeah, he, he was on a couple times. A couple times, yeah. yeah, like early on. Yeah, back in the his early days. Yeah, but um. Also, another thing that Marco and I are talking about is putting together the ultimate experience, the ultimate Marco experience. So you guys uh, throughout the this year have heard Marco talk about and show, you know, some of his his toys, some of his arsenal. And I've had comments from several of you that would you know, say, "Hey, I would love to go spend a day with Marco and you know just pick his brain and you know maybe get some trigger time with some of his guns." Well. We're taking a poll this episode. How many of you would legitimately, seriously be interested in something like that? And that's not going to be a free thing. You know, I mean, everybody would want to do it if it was free. But, you know, like Marco said, ammo's not cheap and it's his own personal stash and it's his time. And, you know, we're looking at maybe a one or two day, like a personal one-on-one, go up and spend some time with Marco kind of deal. If that's something that you would be interested in, email me, talkinglate at gmail.com, and let me know your level of interest. If we get enough people interested, then we'll take it further. Also, we're talking about uh, making um, sort of like a, a lab corner, uh, you know, AK corner, talking lab event sometime maybe in spring in the northern Ohio. Yeah, where we would have uh, invited all the listeners and stuff uh, who participated and listened and uh, the podcasts and uh, have kind of same thing. We would have have vendors set up, thirty stations set up with different types of weapons. Anything it would be World War II experience, there would be a Cold War experience, it would be modern experience. With anything from uh, the handguns to uh, bolt guns to uh, sniper rifles to uh, uh, machine guns and things like that. And I might even be able to pull a few strings and get us uh, my Deuce and M249 and all those fancy schmancy guns as well. Fancy schmancy. Yeah, so, so when you email Marty, um, email, you know, with two, you know, would love to hear both. The interest in both of those, yeah. We're kind of taking the temperature, see if it's something that we want to, um, you know, put our time and effort into. So we we need to need a good, honest level of who would actually come to that. Uh, and I know people have different kind of schedules and stuff like that. But just say you had the opportunity, you had the means, and you had the the will to do it. Would you want to do it? So just email me talking at gmail dot com. Andrew's in. <laughs> Andrew's in. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, we may do it anyway if it's just us. We may we may still just do it with us. But uh, yeah, just so. to, just to kind of drop a little uh, hook and sinker. Uh, we got SVDS. We got Alexander Arms, Sweet Three, Lapua, Ulfbert, 
the greatest 338 Lapua rifle there is that recoils like 308. We have PPS 41, uh, PPSH, I'm sorry. We got the DP 27, PKM, AK 74s, AKSU, uh, suppressed, non suppressed AKMs, and so on and so on. You got RPKs, PKMs, Bleed OPPs. We got some OPPs. OPP, yeah, we got OPP. No, we would like to get the OPP. Yeah, yeah, you know <laughs> no. me. I'm down with OPP. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like a Vitez 9mm thing and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we, uh, and all the complement of all the World War II stuff yeah. from, you know. Yeah. So that range day that we're talking about would be similar to... So for those who attended that AK corner class that Andrew mentioned earlier that we did there in Nashville, uh, it would be that on steroids, basically. Uh, when we try to do it outdoors, that way we'd have longer, um, longer yeah, ranges it's a, and it's a it's a zero more guns to five hundred, and it's in, individual ranges lined up in one firing lane. So uh, you got the the first pavilion would be 75 yard and the next one would be 500 yard and the next one is 300 yard yeah and and then the rest of them is 100 yards but they're like individual stations yeah so and really kind of like an ak corner listener appreciation kind of range day kind of deal so it's what we're what we're thinking about so email me tiny at gmail.com interest in that and then interest in the uh ultimate marco experience um if, if if they want, I can even do something that no other people can do it. I would even make the the Russian military meal. <laughs> a meal? A Russian military meal? Yeah, like what lunch. Is, what does that consist of? Oh, I'm going to opt out. You're opting what? out of the Russian meal? You, 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 can, you can march in it. It's a, it's a buckwheat with uh, canned meat, like a stewed meat. Either either uh, beef or pork, depending on what the preference is on. Yeah, grab you a Subway sandwich on the way that day, just in case. <laughs> Every time, no, during my classes in Kansas, we had the sniper rifle uh, or northern Pennsylvania. Uh, people literally, and I do it in like a, uh, like a cast iron pot, right, o- over open p- fire. But in this case, I'll do it over, you know, gas stove. And uh, the people literally grabbing that pot and they scraping the spoons to get every little bit of it. You need to I'll give it a run. You need to get some bread. You sop oh, it up. of course. Sop it, it up with a biscuit. Bread and tea, tea <laughs> so. and biscuits. Yeah. All right, leadheads. That's it for this episode. And then, like I said, next month is going to be the AK versus AR, our annual AK versus A. Andrew, you going to join us on that one? You want to join us? When is it? Next month. Well, email me about it. It's next month. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we can figure it out. We just got to get a date. So we got to get our teams. Got to get our teams built. Um, There's only that. one team I'm going to be on, so. So uh, the, the guys from the AR-15 podcast are the AR side team. So he's building his AR team. And then I guess Marco will be the captain for the AK team. I'm the oh, neutral. It's first time participating. I would like to be like the, the – uh, what do you call it? The uh, – you're no, definitely going to be the captain, one hundred percent. Yeah, you're captain, no doubt about it. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, the pressure. 
and maybe we'll have some special giveaways for that episode too so uh, until then bone up on your akar um battle questions because that's kind of how we're gonna we're gonna do the listener portion of it and uh until then lead heads as always keep your loved ones close and your closer. And your AK's closer. That's right. I forgot AK corner. It's the AK corner. Come on, son. Did I forget something? Man, you got too many shows, Marty. That's it. Rock and roll. Excellent. Roll. Hold your horses there. We got one more announcement to make from our Range Day Madness episode. The winner of the Talking Lead logoed t shirt that's got our new logo on it there. And you had to go to Rumble to be eligible for this comment on that video of the range day madness episode the winner is ladies and gentlemen old tennessean email me talkingleadedgmail.com gonna need your shirt size and your address old tennessean congratulations talking lead out <laughs>